Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Wonderful. Thank you, Jessica. Nice job, kids. Good answers, good singing. Thank you, Brian, for leading us in prayer. Um, this missions-themed weekend is actually going to continue a little bit into next week because we are having a special guest with us, a guy named Ted Powers, who is the church planting coordinator for the Midwest region of our denomination. Some of you might remember Ted. He was here um, oh, several years ago when we were getting ready to plant our first church, City, church, City Hope Fellowship in Muncie. And uh, so Ted's going to be here next week. He's going to preach, and he's going to just tell us a little bit about what's going on in the area of church planting in our denomination, where churches are being planted, how those churches are doing, etc. He's also, um, Dan, if we could get that slide up there, uh, <clears throat> going to hang around after the service for a pizza lunch. So if you love pizza, come. And uh, you can eat with us and hear from Ted. We'll be meeting in the fellowship hall immediately after service. Give you an opportunity to ask him any questions that you might have um, about church planting in our denomination. So I hope you can make that pizza lunch and that you'll plan to be here to encourage Ted next week. Uh, it is our missions conference here. As you can tell, we've been saying this repeatedly. It's been a really great weekend. Had a great time on Friday night. Um, Esther did do a really good job talking to us, as her husband said, and um, <clears throat> I spent some time talking about our trip to Malaysia, where Mary and I went about a month ago, and um, kids learned a lot, some games that the kids had on Friday night. This morning, we had a pitch-in meal, had breakfast together, and we prayed for all of our missionaries and so thank you to everybody who worked so hard to get all of this uh, uh, ready, the missions team and the hospitality team in particular. Hopefully you're getting the idea as a result of this weekend, and this is something we do every year, that we are a church who is excited about foreign missions. Uh, that is a, a passion of ours. It's an expression of one of our core values, evangelism, uh, the sen sending and supporting of missionaries all over the world, and you, you might be asking, I mean, why are you so excited about missions? Um, perhaps you don't really share that passion or share that interest, and so maybe you're thinking, I don't really get what all the fuss is about. This is a really good book. It's by a guy named Andy Johnson. It's just called Missions. It's very brief, brief short. It's a nine marks book, and um, would highly recommend it to you. He says something very interesting at the start of the book. He says, the way to get people interested in missions is to talk less about missions and talk more about the gospel. <laughs> because if people become excited and interested about the gospel, they will be interested in missions. <laughs> to the degree that you understand the glorious and global implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the degree to which you will have an excitement and a passion about missions. If there is nothing in your heart for foreign missions, I would ask you to look into your heart and ask, how much do I really understand the gospel? 
And so this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to be actually sticking with our Route 66 sermon series. What we've been doing for the last year and several months is going through the Bible, one sermon per Bible book. We started in Genesis. We're in the letters of Paul now, and we're in the book of Philippians this morning. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Philippians. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We have paperback Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. So grab one of those Bibles and you can open it to page 570 in the paperback Bibles. And we're going to read Philippians 2, 8 through 11, and look to this passage to give us some excitement about the gospel. Let me give you some information about Philippians, written by the Apostle Paul, probably written between 60 and 62 AD. The theme of the book throughout is very simple, joy and encouragement. And <clears throat> these few verses here in chapter 2 are verses that talk about the, the humanity and the divinity and the pre-existence and the humility and service heart of Jesus Christ. It's one of the richest passages in all the Bible about Jesus and therefore about the centrality of the gospel. So if you have your Bibles open, why don't you stand and I'm going to read chapter 2 verses 8 through 11. Philippians 2, 8 through 11. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our God in heaven, we ask, send your spirit to open our eyes and open our hearts to behold wonderful things in this passage of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> so in order to be excited about missions, you've got to be excited about the gospel. So what is it about the gospel that is worth being excited about? And the first thing is this, the obedience of Jesus. The obedience of Jesus, which we see in verse 8. Uh, let me read, first of all, a, a quote to you that I found recently. Somebody said this recently in the news. There's no faith without obedience. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me, but I never implemented it in my life. I never thought I'm going to be obedient. He went on to say how this is very important to him now. Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber has recently made a profession of faith and has not only made a profession of faith, but is saying these things about how important obedience to God is to him. A very refreshing thing to hear Justin Bieber say. He is serious about obedience. Maybe you today are serious about obedience. That's great. But here's the greatest thing that you need to know as we think about the gospel there is no one who has ever lived who was more serious about obedience to God than Jesus Christ. 
And that should be really good news to you, and that should make you excited because you know how inconsistent your obedience is. I know how inconsistent my obedience is. What we need to know is that there is somebody out there whose obedience was not inconsistent, but perfect. And that's the case for Jesus. And that's what we see here in just this one little verse, verse 8. We see this interesting progression. It says here in verse 8, <coughs> referring to Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. He all the time was obedient to the Father. There was never any deceit found on his lips. When Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, who was examining him to determine whether he should go to the cross or not, even Pontius Pilate stood, looked at Jesus and said, I find no fault in this man. Pontius Pilate had no real interest in Jesus at all, and yet even he objectively had to acknowledge there's nothing wrong with this man. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what he fed on, that's what drove him, that's what motivated him, that's what his passion was for his entire life, full, full, full submission to the Father. Obedience, but the verse goes on, there's a progression here. He was obedient to the point of death. Now, it's one thing to be obedient, right? It's another thing to be so obedient you're willing to die in your obedience. Sometimes we use this phrase, it's not a hill to die on. When we say that, we mean that's not something I'm committed enough to in order to die for it. That's what we mean. Well, Jesus was so committed to obedience to the Father that he was willing to die. And in fact, he was willing to die on a hill called Calvary where there was a cross. And that leads us to the third part of this progression. He was obedient to the point of death, even, it says at the end of verse 8, even death on a cross. That word even should um, uh, reveal to us that Paul is thinking that there's something highly unusual about dying on a cross because a cross was a tool of execution in the Roman Empire. It was reserved for the very worst of criminals. It was the ultimate indignity. It was beneath contempt for those who died in that way. It was the lowest form of humiliation. And here we have the one who was for all eternity in the throne room of heaven, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal God coming, leaving his majesty behind to endure this kind of humiliation. And as Jessica just mentioned to us a moment ago, it certainly wasn't for any crimes that he committed because he was obedient perfectly. No deceit found on his mouth. The only conclusion we can draw is that he died for somebody else's misdeeds. He, decide, he died for the sins that others committed. He died for the sins that you committed and that I committed. And that is something to be excited about. Don't you think? That Jesus laid down his life to pay the penalty for your sins, for all of your inconsistent obedience. You're discouraged because you're not more obedient. You see how often you fail. You see how often you don't do what you said you were going to do. You see how often you said, I'm never going to do that thing again. And next day you find yourself doing it. You're discouraged by the inconsistence of your obedience. And yet here is a Savior who obeyed on your behalf 
whose perfect, obedient record stands in your place. And he laid down his life so that all of your sins would be removed. Friends, there's no one in history who has ever lived this kind of life or died this kind of death. Nobody. Not Mother Teresa. Not Kobe Bryant. Not Steve Jobs or Stephen Hawking. Not George Washington or John F. Kennedy. Not Martin Luther King. And not Martin Luther. Nobody has lived this kind of life. Nobody has died this kind of death. Only Jesus Christ. And that should be encouraging to you. That should be exciting because you can know that there is somebody fully worthy of your trust. There is somebody who won't disappoint you. There is somebody who always does what he says he's going to do. There is somebody who will never mislead you. There is somebody righteous. There is somebody holy. There is somebody worthy fully of your devotion and your worship and your submission and your love. Somebody out there exists and his name is Jesus. And he's the only one who fits that description. And it's because of his obedience. All contained there in this beautiful verse, chapter 2, verse 8. Now you might say, well, I've tried to be obedient to this God and to this Jesus. And I have been trying to follow him. But you know what? It hasn't gotten me anywhere. I still don't have a job. I'm still single. I'm still sick. I'm still depressed. What does obedience get you? And that leads us to the next point, which is the exaltation of Jesus. And we see this in verse 9. <clears throat> Think with me about what it is that the world exalts. What does the world exalt? What is exalted, celebrated in the eyes of the world? Intelligence, power, wealth, athleticism, scoring touchdowns, making baskets, beauty, talent. But what does God exalt? According to this verse, he exalts humble, obedient service. That's what pleases God. That's what draws his attention. That's what he exalts. Look at verse 9. It's very clear. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. That word highly could also be translated super or hyper. So we could say, therefore, God has super exalted him, hyper exalted him. And why did God hyper exalt Jesus. Well, you see that word therefore. So if we read backwards, we know that the reason for that exaltation is in the words preceding, which is what we just read. It's because he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So because of that, God the Father hyper exalted him. It's like the humiliation of Jesus is the grounds for his exaltation. And that's exactly opposite and contrary to the way our world works. But this is the way God works. So if you're discouraged at this time and you're thinking, you know, I just don't know where obedience to God really pays off. Whenever you think that humble service is not worth it in the ministry team that you're participating in or in the aging parent that you're taking care of 
or as you serve in the nursery Sunday after Sunday, or as you go visit the elderly at Elmcroft, or as you serve as an elder or deacon here at the church, or as you serve the homeless down at the Muncie Mission. If you ever get discouraged about that and you think, I'm not getting the attention and the credit that I think I deserve, just remember how the Father exalted the Son for his humble, faithful obedience. Well, exactly how did the Father exalt the Son? Well, we know it's in his resurrection from the dead and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. But in verse 9, we see something else. Verse 9, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And then he goes on, so that... At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, look at those words carefully, okay? Just fix your eyes on, on that. Every knee should bow. Every tongue confess. Because there's some background to this verse. Paul is actually thinking here of an Old Testament verse from the book of Isaiah, chapter 45. And here's how it reads. And this is God speaking. The God of the Old Testament, the God who created the whole universe, and he says this, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. There's a great missions verse for us. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear allegiance. The God of the universe, using these words to describe himself, and now we go forward several hundred years to the book of Philippians, and the Apostle Paul takes those same words and applies them to Jesus. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the creator of all things, who has taken the form of a man and lived on this earth and humbly then obeyed the Father and went to a cross for you and me. That is exciting, friends. God, the creator of all things, has come to us in this world and walked on this earth just like you and I have been all of our lives. God in the flesh, in the man, Jesus Christ. And so that's why verse 9 goes on to say that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. What name could be higher than God's name? And since Jesus is God, there is no name higher than Jesus. Not Buddha or Allah, not Plato or Caesar, not Donald Trump or Barack Obama, not Bill Gates, not Jeff Bezos. All of those names are secondary to the name of Jesus. There is no name higher than his. And this is the honor that the Father is pronouncing on Jesus because of his obedience to the cross. The Father has exalted him. And that leads to the third thing, which is the global reign of Jesus. The global reign. Why was Jesus then exalted? Verse 10, so that, so here's the purpose for his exaltation. We just read it a moment ago. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under 
the earth. Do you notice the comprehensiveness of that verse? The, the universality of that verse. That every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. In other words, there are no exceptions anywhere in all the world and all the created universe. Everyone will bow the name to Jesus. Paul is not saying here, notice, he's not saying that Muslims in Muslim parts of the world will bow their knee to Allah and that Buddhists in Buddhist parts of the world will bow their knee to Buddha and then Christians in the Christian part of the world will bow their knee to Jesus. That's not what he's saying. He's saying everybody in the entire world will bow the knee to Jesus one day. Maybe you're not a Christian today. Maybe you're not convinced. Maybe you haven't bowed your knee to Jesus. One day you will. One day you will. And the option is you can do it today, gladly, happily, in grateful response to him for all he has done for you, or you will do it later in shame and regret and terror. Those are the two options. Everybody will one day bow the knee to Jesus. Gandhi, Charles Darwin, Socrates, Madonna, Albert Einstein, Pontius Pilate, Joseph Stalin, Chairman Mao, Richard Dawkins, William Shakespeare, Richard, uh, Frederick Nietzsche, Oprah Winfrey, President Xi in China, Tiger Woods, Lady Gaga, on and on. Every knee will bow. That's exciting. That's exciting to think that that day is going to come when every knee acknowledges the lordship and the global reign of Jesus Christ. Paul says one last thing here at the end of verse 11. <clears throat> he says that this is all to the glory of God the Father. All to the glory of God the Father. For the Father to bestow this name on Jesus that every knee would bow to him and every tongue confess that he is Lord does not take glory from God the Father. To give glory to Jesus gives glory to God. And the conclusion from that is that the only way to give glory to God is to give glory to Jesus. And if you're not giving glory to Jesus, you're not giving glory to God, no matter what religion you happen to practice or however it is you conceive of God. This is the only way to worship the true God. It's to worship Jesus. And so now you can see the implications for missions, <laughs> right? God here clearly, in Ephesians, in Philippians 2, God clearly wants every knee to bow to Jesus. So shouldn't we want that also? Shouldn't we want to see people bowing the knee to Jesus gladly, gratefully, and joyfully now so that they don't have to bow the knee in shame and terror and regret later? And that's the foundation of, of missions. That's why we seek to take the gospel to all the world. It, it is good to go other places in the world and to engage in various ministry projects and 
to help the poor in various parts of the world. That, that is great. It is good. We should do it. But nothing is more important than taking the gospel to the world. Because people need to hear this name of Jesus so that their knees would bow to him. So what can you do? You might be thinking, all right, how do I respond to this? Let me just suggest a, a few things. One, you can write cards or letters to our missionaries. I know this is something that they would love to receive, to know that you're thinking of them, that you're praying for them. Um, we can provide you the addresses of all of the missionaries that we support here. They're also listed on the board. We have a, a world map. If you go out these doors kind of near the nursery and kind of around the corner, you'll see a world map. All of our missionaries are uh, posted there with their contact information. Take a picture of that or call the office. We'll get you the information. But that's a really quick and easy way to encourage our missionaries. Write them a note and tell them you're praying for them. A second way that you can help is through your giving because here at New Life our support for our missionaries comes out of our general fund and our general fund is supported by your tithes and offerings. So the more you give, the more we have to give to our missionaries. So if you're not giving, you need to give. If you are giving, perhaps you can give more so that we can generously support our missionaries because I know that's what our missions team wants to do and that's what I want to do as well. The third thing that I would suggest to you is to consider whether God might be calling you one day to go. This is something I said Friday night. Uh, we say this often here, and I think it's true. We talk about the church being divided up into senders and goers, two different kinds of people. Some of us are sending, some of us are going. Not all of us are called to go. That's absolutely true. Many of us are called to send. But I think a whole lot more could stand to go. I think we have a huge percentage of people sending, a small percentage of people going, and that that percentage of goers needs to increase. So maybe God is calling you. Maybe not now, maybe years down the road. Maybe he's calling you to go. Could that be? Have you thought about that? Have you asked the question, God, are you calling me to foreign missions? Our denomination, MTW, as Matt was talking a little while ago, Mission to the World, has a program. It's called the 1% Program, and MTW is challenging all the churches in our denomination to seek to send 1% of our membership overseas into foreign missions. Not 1% of our budget financially. It's not a financial thing. It's a person thing. 1% of the membership of each PCA church to commit to going overseas for foreign missions. And we're gonna conclude here by watching a video, just very brief, that'll tell you a little more about that. And uh, you can prayerfully consider whether, the God, whether God might be calling you to consider that. And if you are interested, please come and talk to me and we'll talk further. So let's watch.